HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. Listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Happy Monday to everybody, and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby, my co-host and producer extraordinaire, Sophie Schlesinger. Hi, everybody. And uh, today's show is going to be all about yogurt. Yes. Uh, we are lucky to have back with us on the show Lorraine Lewandowski, who um, is a farmer upstate New York, yep. um, and uh, um, was recently at the New York State Yogurt Summit. Um, Lorraine, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you so much for joining us again. It's a pleasure. Yes, it's great to be on. Um, I was really so lucky to be able to attend the Yogurt Summit. It was invitation only, um, limited attendance, and I took detailed notes, and I'm glad that um, your listeners want to hear about it. Yeah. Yeah, we would love to get um, get a recap. Now, was this, a, was this summit organized by Governor Cuomo, or who was behind the organization of it? Governor Cuomo organized it. Um, it was precedent setting. There has never been a summit or a dairy summit in New York that I know of in my lifetime where a governor sat for three hours along with the Speaker of the New York State Assembly and spoke with people in the dairy industry and then stuck around later to ask questions and um, interact with people. So I would say it was precedent setting. Wow, that's really great. And so what was the format of the summit? Was it kind of an open call where dairy farmers could come and meet with these top officials, or was it no, more formal? No, it was very, um, I think it was very prearranged. Um, there was a panel, a group of representatives from the top yogurt um, processors themselves um, who were at the table. There was sort of a, like a round table discussion, but only the people who had been invited to present could speak. So we had representatives of Pepsi, who will be building uh, North America's largest yogurt plant in Batavia, New York. Um, we had Alpina, who is a, um, also 
also building in Batavia, New York. They're based out of um, Colombia, Latin America. They control 70% of South American yogurt. Um, We had the Fayet yogurt plant um, that's built in... um, in uh, Johnstown, New York, and of course we had Chobani, who is now hitting one $1 billion in sales of uh, Greek Whoa. yogurt based out of New York. Wow. So they were at the table, uh, representatives of Farm Bureau, um, the governor's chief of staff, Larry Schwartz, um, some of the, the leaders of some of the largest farms or farm, um, like farm cooperatives in the state. Um, uh, there was one farmer who, a woman farmer who was milking 199 cows who spoke, but, um, you know, it was, it was more, I thought it was more emphasis on the processors, but, you know, it was very informative. I learned a lot and, um, you know, just, just picked up a few things that I'd, you know, like to talk with you about as, as you get to the questions. Yeah, well, I would be, um, since, you know, since we weren't there, um, I would be curious to know, yeah, what what did you think were the things, the big takeaways that... um that really, I don't know, uh, touched you the most about the conference? Well, the big, the big takeaway, first of all, was the phenomenal growth of yogurt manufacturing in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, a few years ago, we really didn't seem to have all that much interest from yogurt companies. We had, um, I think just like five years ago, there were um, 14 yogurt companies, and we've gone to 29. So aside from the big ones, we've had a, a wide variety of others, too. Um, you know, some of these smaller companies like, say, Siggy's, um, Icelandic Skier, um, you know, in a variety. Mm-hmm. Um, the amount of New York milk that is now going into yogurt is, is staggering. Um, we produce upstate about 12.7 billion pounds of milk, um, and we're up to 1.2 um, billion pounds of milk going into yogurt. So that's about 9% of our milk is now going into yogurt manufacturing. Um, I, I just calculated out before I went on the air what that would equate to in, like, say, like those little six-ounce Chobani cups. Uh-huh. Um, that would equal 1.3 billion of those cups wow. in New York last year. Wow. Well, it's... Uh, in terms of yogurt for feeding, um, well, New York City and, um, and beyond. So the, the size, just the scale of it is staggering. You know, mm-hmm. it's very, very big. Um, the other thing that, um, well, the, the governor impressed me in that he asked the, the people there what they thought would be most helpful. Um, and each of the processors spoke about things that they, they need, which was, were interesting, like way, manage, way management, research and development, um, ancillary jobs, you know, training, uh, better power sources, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the farm groups were, to me, seemed like they were represented uh, more with um, larger farmers. Um, almost all of the farmers seated at the table were milking like 400 plus cows. Mm. Um, some of them, one one farmer introduced himself as as um, controlling a um, some huge percentage of New York State's milk. Um, so the average farm in New York um, is about 100 cows right now. So I, I didn't really see much representation from the 100 cow farm at the table. Um, the Right now, we have a, probably about half of New York's milk is produced on farms that are less than 200 um, cows in size. That's about 4,455 farms. Um, but the larger farmers seem to be the ones that were really handling the discussion. Um, you know, I'm ho- maybe next time this will be different. I did walk up to the governor and complain to him about that. Um, <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> so, so maybe, you know, perhaps it'll change. But, you know, in New York, as around the country, we are seeing some of the larger farms coming online. We have um, 17 farms now that are 2,000 cows or more. 
Um, you know, seven, another 17 farms are in the 1,500 to 2,000 cow category. So, so we're seeing a growth of the very larger farms, and that's primarily in western New York with the, you know, they have a lot bigger uh, flat land, open land, corn growing land. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other regions of the state are geared more towards grazing. You know, my part of the state, which is central New York, is almost all medium-sized farms and, and um Probably eighty percent of the farms in my particular co-op are out grazing their cattle every every day of the week, as weather permits. Um, so I was struck by that difference, um, and I'm hoping that future summits. Um, and the governor did say that there are going to be some future summits will incorporate more of the um, the smaller farmer. Um, I was also um, a little bit saddened that there were no young farmers. Um, Hmm. We're always talking about needing young farmers. Um, I didn't see too much discussion of, of um, you know, bringing some very young farmers to the table to talk about what it is they would need. Um, when all of us old geezers are gone, you know, we definitely need, you know, our age is getting, I think the average age is something like 57 now in New York for a dairy farmer. Mm-hmm. We really need the young farmers at the table, um, so I'm hoping we'll see more of that. But um, all in all, it was, you know, it was a good, it was a good start, and um, I'm hoping that there will be some future uh, yogurt summits to talk about where else we might be headed in New York and, and other issues. Now, I have a question. Now, you were saying that uh, a lot of the big farms were speakers at this conference. Um, d- would you say that um, these yogurt companies are buying milk equally from the big farms and from small farms, or do you think the small farms are left out of the picture? Um, no, I think they're buying equally from big and small, but it would depend on the company and where they're located. Um, for example, Chobani is located in um, the central New York area, where it's predominantly the, the um, smaller and medium-sized farms. Um, where Pepsi is locating, which will be in Batavia, it's almost it's very much large farms that surround um, the, the future Pepsi facility. And so, is this because you know, of the geography that you were mentioning yeah, earlier? Yeah, Okay. Um, their supply chain will undoubtedly come from much larger farms from New York, and um, and probably one, um, one of the um, representatives from another company told me that Pepsi will probably be bringing in milk from other parts of the country as well. Um, so you know, so the location could be critical. The Fayet plant is located right here in central New York as well, right along the Thruway in the Johnstown Industrial Development Park. Um, they are um, getting milk from um, the co-ops in my area, which are you know our co-op had approached them. And um, they were excited about getting milk from regular farms that are grazing every day. So we're, we are currently supplying them uh, with milk. So, so, you know, they're all adding to um, kind of diversify the dairy landscape and give us another alternative in terms of where we're going to be marketing milk. Um, and I have another question. I mean, Sophie and I were talking about um, the pros and cons of this yogurt boom in New York State. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the cons that Sophie actually brought up was um, the fact that uh, some of these producers and some of the governor's plans um, are, are focused more on the larger farms, which can definitely produce more milk, but maybe would do so at an adverse cost to the environment and mm-hmm. to the animals. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some of the environmental groups are already protesting. The w- What came out of this particular conference was um, the governor proposed, after listening to the, f- the few farmers who spoke, that he would loosen the regulations on um, CAFOs, those are the concentrate animal feeding operations, mm. so that um, you could increase your herd size from 100 
199 cows to 299 cows without coming under the CAFO regulation. So I understand that we'll be subject to hearings, um, and everybody will have an opportunity to speak on that, but that's the proposal on the table. Um, oh, the, one, the woman who spoke, um, Carrie Adams from Ontario County, stated that um, she wants to expand beyond 199 cows. Um, that, typic- that would normally cost, uh, uh, add on another debt of $1,200 per cow, but if you have to require uh, compliance with CAFO regulations, that adds on another $2,400 per cow. So the debt load being taken on, if you want to expand under the current CAFO regulations, is, is pretty staggering. Um, it can't cash flow um, given the current milk price situation. So, so that was, you know, one. It seemed to be more of encouraging um, growth um, of small, uh, turning smaller or medium-sized farms into bigger farms. And what's um, what's you know, the other thing um, emphasized was methane digesters. Mm-hmm. Um, so this would be where you have some of the larger farms that, um, you know, the animals are indoors all day, so the manure is gathered and concentrated into a methane digester. Um, so that's a different approach. Um, it's not as useful in my area. Um, my area, the cows are all grazing. You know, it'd be, it's, it's not, it's, you know, it's totally a different um, approach to dairy farming. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is where I would like to see things, too. And if you're going to, and I, I did tell this to the governor as well. I don't know if he listened to me, but I, and I did do give him credit. He did mingle with, um, the, you know, the people out in the audience and did, did go and talk with me, just a regular farmer who approached him. You know, and I stated that if you're going to incentivize the big farms, you should be incentivizing the 4,500 smaller farms as well that you know we are the people who are grazing you, um, we you know we have three million I, you know I told him we have three million acres of abandoned grazing lands in New York right now you know everywhere we look up here there are abandoned fields that were previously used for grazing of animals and dairy and beef so so I'm not sure I'm going to try to follow up with an email but I would hope that there will be some um, some things along those lines um, in New England, the New England Farmers Union is talking about the great potential on grassland dairies of carbon sequestration. Some mm-hmm. of the farms are actually carbon negative, um, biodiversity on grasslands. You know, all, all of the great things that I think of when I see the grazing herds or, or farms that are at least grazing part-time, if not all of the time. So I would like to see some incentive, incentivizing of the, the, you know, the grassland farms and taking advantage of all the great grass that we have that has actually come through this drought 2012 in pretty good shape. Absolutely. I feel like um, New York is in a great position as um, with regards to other places in the country. And it's almost like returning to our roots because originally that's why dairying moved from other New England states like Vermont into New York because mm-hmm. the land was so much more favorable. Oh, exactly. You know, and we're seeing um, it, the farmers in some of the other states that rely on purchase feed more are struggling. Um, oh, anyone who's buying. In, in oh. disaster zone, they, California just set up a dairy farmer suicide hotline. Um, you know, no. they... they have bankruptcies of major dairies going on in several of the counties. There's just mass suffering out there. Um, so New York, um, I was so pleased with our grasslands this summer that um, you know even even when the water table was dropping, the uh, grass was still producing quite well and um, no rain and it still held strong. Um, so so that just tells you yes, exactly, and it's just as our roots. 
Wow. And so another environmental um, issue that uh, Sophie brought my attention to um, that Governor Cuomo was mentioning was the fracking issue. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he was talking about relaxing some of the, the laws about fracking to allow fracking on some of this farmland that would you know, mm-hmm. be in dairy. Correct. And there was a demonstration going on as we went into the yogurt summit. Um, as all the dairy dignitaries were going in, you had to go through a gauntlet of people dressed in cow suits <laughs> holding up <laughs> signs saying, save our yogurt, no fracking. So, yeah, so the fracking demonstration was occurring right outside of the um, conference. So I did go up and talk to a few of the, um, you know, the cows, <laughs> the people yeah. dressed in cow suits about the fracking issues. And um, there was a letter distributed signed by um, dairy farmers who are opposed to fracking in parts of the state. So so that is another issue that will impact the farmers. Um, farmers are torn on that, pro and con. Um, I, I know of some young farmers who really want to frack their land because they feel this is the only possible way they're going to survive financially. Um, and then I know of other farmers who are very worried that they don't want to compete with fracking companies for water. Um, they don't know what are in chemicals that go into the uh, the fracking process. So, so it's kind of, it's almost farmer against farmer. Hmm. So now I'm reading that there is, you know, by these, from these yogurt companies, there's need for more and more milk as this, you know, very thick uh, yogurt gains mm-hmm. popularity. So would you advocate for more smaller farms that are, you know, possibly mm-hmm. a little um, more environmentally friendly? Or would you... Yeah, pers- I mean, that's my personal cup of tea. Um, and that's what I think really suits the resources of, um, m- you know, various regions of the state. The North Country is extensive. Um, grasslands already has a small farm base. Central New York does. You know, we're producing like a third of the milk for the state based off of the um, the farmer. The farms, I guess in my co-op, the largest farm is um, 200 cows that's be- that are being grazed. Um, and in the Mohawk Valley, we have some farms that go up to 500 in size. Um, we do have a very, I, I have some concerns with some of the very largest of the farms. Um, the, the farm, the model is different. Um, what we have on some of the very largest farms are all immigrant workers who basically send every penny home. Um, if immigrant workers were suddenly not available, that model is not necessarily sustainable. Um, you, you know, we also see where some of the communities that have, have only one large farm, they have lost their critical infrastructure where they might have had a main street before that was supported by dozens of smaller farms. Um, you know, so it, it really lends a totally different atmosphere in, a, in an area when you have one large farm as opposed to, say, 20 to 50, 100 right. large or smaller size farms. So, it, it, you know, it gives a different flavor. Um, Another consideration, though, you know, and I've thought about this, um, it affects people in New York City. Um, New York City, um, and and I I met a really interesting person who talked to me at the Yogurt Summer about food security. Um, In thinking about New York's countryside, New York City people need to think about it because we have, or New York City has a three-day supply of food on its shelves. Um, After 9-11, food security experts were tasked with looking at New York and how it could survive food-wide. In food-wise, in, in the event of an emergency or something, um, they he he told me that New York is importing uh, say ninety-five percent of its food coming in um, via truck long haul, um, mm-hmm. and that food security experts were concerned in terms of having more food available locally. So that you know that plays into the issue as well. You know how much do you want produced in upstate New York nearby? How you know? Um, 
do what are consumers thinking about? Do they want from larger farms or don't they care? Um, you know, are they looking at the working countryside? Um, I did speak with some of the environmental groups, you know, and, and I, I also told them that, you know, they have never really cared so much about the working countryside. It's been more of a focus on wilderness, the Adirondack Park, mm. but not the working countryside. And, you know, and I did speak with some of the anti-fracking group leaders, and I said, you know, geez, you guys have never said a word on our behalf, you know, so are you truly interested in the countryside at this point? You know, are you interested in the grasslands? You know, and, you know, what's your, what's your position on dairy farms and their price? So they were, they were kind of taken aback. <laughs> but, <laughs> sure. Um, but, you know, these are all, all these issues fit together. Absolutely. No, there are lots of shades of gray. Um, and so, well, I have, a, I've, maybe it's sort of a stupid question, and I mm-hmm. feel like it's going back to the beginning, but, I mean, why New York in the first place? Why yeah. has New York become the yogurt capital <laughs> of America? Um, be, uh, well, my personal view is that because we have the cheapest milk in the Northeast, um, New York farmers have, for the past several years, received the lowest pay price of all of the states in the, e- in the um, Northeast. I think only um, Missouri and uh, Michigan have a lower price than we do. Um, it's the lowest price milk right on top of the Northeast Corridor. Um, you know, each month I look at the milk price map and I see, like, for example, for this month, um, New York dairy farmers are getting um, $16.32 for 100 pounds of milk. So if a yogurt company went to New England, they would have to pay $17.45 for the same 100 pounds. They would have to pay um, $16.83 in Pennsylvania. They would have to pay 1700 They would have to pay 1849 for the same 100 pounds of milk in Florida. So if you want cheap milk, just come to New York. Um, you know, the, for some reason, and none of us farmers have ever been able to figure out why, our prices are so much lower than all of the surrounding areas. So I think that is one reason um, why they've come. Um, you know, we've, we're, we've, we've got some stability here in that, um, you know, we have a good farm base. We do have natural resources. We have clean water. And we ha- we're close to the New York State Thruway. Any of these companies that built, um, except for Chobani, all, all of the others are going to be right on the Thruway. They will be able to transport yogurt um, right into New York City and beyond Boston very easily. Um, in, in Minnesota and Wisconsin tended more towards cheese production. And, um, you know, from an environmental point of view, I think that's probably better. You know, it takes 10 pounds of milk to make one pound of cheese and the you know, traditional cheese formula. Not, not, it's, it's different now it's when you add fake product in. But um, it's so, you know, in New York, so that's a low moisture content to be transported long distances, whereas yogurt is three pounds of milk to one pound of yogurt. It's much more of a high-moisture product, so it will be, you know, more bulky, easier to mm-hmm. ship on the throughway here. So, so I think combination of factors has led to this. Um, maybe Chobani showed them the way. Um, Chobani was the first that got started with um, just, I think they started with five employees yeah, seven years ago. That, now there yeah. are 1,400 employees and growing. And an Olympic sponsor, you know, yeah. I was I was looking at all their ads, you know, during the I know, Olympics. I almost and fell I, off of my chair when I saw a picture of the New York farmer on the um, Olympics advertising. It was great. It was unbelievable. I remember, I, you know, when I first opened my store in 2006, um, mm-hmm. it was, Chobani was first introduced to me by uh, Regional Access, who's a great mm-hmm. local distributor 
based out of Ithaca and um, you know they specialize in very small production stuff and so to mm-hmm. think that you know regional access introduced this you know yogurt to us and now you know just they're they're everywhere and it's such good yogurt and it's yeah, so competitively it's priced it's just and, um, amazing yeah so you know the protein it's filling um you know it's it's good uh, so you know when you think about it they're hitting one billion dollars in sales in just i think seven years that's so amazing. you could imagine um, being the CEO and starting with this concept and going, yeah. from, you know, <laughs> now, that was like a movie. <laughs> can can you tell us a little bit more about the founder of Chobani? I mean, there was a very brief profile of him in the um, the dairy issue of Edible Manhattan. Um, mm-hmm. But do you know more about his background? I know that he came from a yogurt producing family in, um, he's Turkish, I believe, or, um, and came over here to study. And somehow there was a seal test plan, I believe, that um, he saw. And he got, and he, he had said to his father something like, geez, you know, American yogurt isn't that good. <laughs> um, and um, they came up with, I think I read somewhere in one of the dairy publications that Chobani means shepherd. And um, he and one of his co founders were riding around in a blizzard in upstate New York and decided to call it Chobani. Um, <laughs> and then they set out to make yogurt the more European way, and um, Americans fell in love with it. So, um, and this is something that Pepsi quoted at the at the forum. Um, you know, their marketing people, of course, are out sniffing around for every opportunity. And, you know, their their market people have found that um, yogurt um, is a total growth possible growth sector that Americans eat nowhere near the amount of dairy and um, yogurt in particular that Europeans do. We're at a paltry three three thirteen pounds of yogurt annually, whereas in France they're at forty pounds. pounds of yogurt. Even even the Irish are eating 25 25 pounds plus of yogurt annually. I would put myself in the higher higher echelons of that bracket. Oh, you're in the higher echelons? Oh, my gosh, yeah. I eat yogurt pretty much every morning. I just, I love it. Most Americans don't, but, you know, this is what um, Pepsi is teaming up with um, Mueller, which is, Mueller, another multinational company, is the largest German dairy company known as Mueller Milk in Germany. Um, so Pepsi will be teaming up with this um, yogurt manufacturer to see if they can even exceed Chobani. Wow. So, you know, so this is high-stakes dairy, let's put it this way. <laughs> and now, um, <laughs> so there's a lot of money and a lot of jobs. So I, so that's why Governor Cuomo, you know, devoted so much time. He pointed out the number of people who are working. I know people from my area in, in um, central New York drive all the way to Chobani every day. Some of them drive like an hour to get there for work. Um, you know, so it has been a, a jobs creator. Um, I, my only hope is that the dairy farmers will benefit from this because today we have not received more in our paycheck because of the yogurt manufacturing. Um, the, as a matter of fact, our, there, by a quirk of the federal formulas, um, it, it's even possible that our price can be depressed because more milk goes into yogurt than goes into fluid milk, the way the uh, federal milk marketing orders work. So Senator Gillibrand is trying to change that, but... Um, out in rural New York, we I don't see the optimism and you know and um, and happy glow that I got at the yogurt conference. Um, out in New York, our, our the milk prices to the average farmer have really not gone up. In fact, um, they have gone down significantly from a year ago. Hmm. A year ago in May, we were getting twenty dollars and sixteen cents for a hundred pounds of milk. Our May milk check of this year was sixteen dollars. And twenty nine cents. So our prices have actually gone down substantially, despite having this yogurt boom in New York. Well, so that's um, an interesting issue because you know, if if it truly is to be a boom and it is an inspiration, you know, an inspirational story, it has to 
you know, affect everyone in a positive way. So why would a company like Chobani that has such a great public image, um, Mm -hmm. you know, why are they paying the federal milk price? Well, they have um, stated that they would be happy to pay more if all of their competitors will pay more. Hmm. So, I mean, I guess that's fair enough for from a, um, you know, a corporate point of view. Yeah. Um, you know, so it would depend on the other entities also paying more. But I don't know how that will come about. Um, you know, the there we have one large co-op that um, primarily that negotiates for a lot of the milk. Um, I think, though, that if there's more competition, that's helpful. I, w- I would like to see more of the smaller size yogurt companies um, grow as well. Um, there, you know, there are some fantastic companies like Siggy's. Um, you know, who's in all the, they're in all the Hannafords around the state and all the Whole um, Foods around and, and, um, the whole country. Yeah, that's Siggy's is the Icelandic yogurt. Um, you know, there are others of that size. Um, those are the kind of companies that are easier for co-ops of my size to negotiate with. You know, it's tough for us, a group of 60 farmers, to negotiate with um, Pepsi. That's, I don't even know how many billions of dollars their sales are. They, you know, the, power, the tip of the power scale is definitely in yeah. their favor. Mm-hmm. So we don't have a way of, of um, collective bargaining. Um, we had, the farmers had tried to form a collective bargaining effort in New York in 1998. We tried to form the Northeast Dairy Compact, um, and they, New York City consumer groups fought to kill the compact, um, and they, they were actually led by NYPIRG, um, who was involved in the anti-fracking movement. So I, I did approach the NYPIRG representatives and say that, geez, you know, you say you want farmers, but you were the same group that killed collective bargaining or helped to hmm. kill the dairy farmer collective bargaining in 1998, saying that you didn't want the consumers to spend more on milk. So I think... The food movement should be incorporating a little bit of the, you know, more, and, and I think it's starting, of uh, farmer, the farmer, um, the, the average farmer, not just the artisan farmer, and what their role is in New York and in feeding New York City. So, so I'm th- I think that's going to start. I ha- I've had a few talks with a few food leaders about that. Um, so, you know, maybe they would give us a little backup in terms of putting some pressure on and helping us negotiate. But, um, but right now, um, nationally, um, farmers are, we, you know, we're back to where we were in 2009. We had 2010 and 11 weren't bad. Um, 2012, we are faced with drought 12. Um, there's actually a petition um, being generated out of California asking the um, USDA um, Secretary Vilsack to help um, to call hearings in order to try to trigger some emergency milk price supports. Um, this is um, federal milk marketing laws. It's called sec- Section 601C18. Gives the um, secretary power to help um, set some better minimum milk prices in emergency. Mm. Um, the emergency is that the food um, for cows and and all livestock basically is in in desperate condition around the country. Um, Most the of it is yield, grown in the Midwest. You know, yeah, typically, um, you know, we're looking, you know, maybe 160 bushels per acre. It's down. Their estimate is at 123 bushels an acre, and it may that may even be dropped to 105 bushels per acre. So, you know, we've got fully half of um, rural counties in the, in the United States are in drought emergency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's just totally swung the other way out of the clear blue. We we work with a bunch of, uh, um, well, you know, we work solely with small farmers, and mm-hmm. um, we've gotten price increases from quite a few of them who've mm-hmm. sent along letters from their grain companies saying, you mm-hmm. know, this is unprecedented. We've never seen anything like it. Yeah, um, this drought is incredible. I know I was with some Missouri farmers yesterday, and a third of Missouri dairy cattle are being liquidated, as in sold to auction, probably slaughtered. Because the farmers can, simply can't, there isn't even enough grass to feed them. 
Um, mm-hmm. There's, uh, it's affecting everything. Um, people are letting, like, pet horses, just turning them loose to let them. You know, <coughs> yeah, no, the drought. The um, drought is a very dire, very bad, dire thing. It's true. It's true. Well, and it's it's interesting to think about because those milk regulations and the pricing those were put into place. If, if I'm remembering correctly, mm-hmm. to protect farmers from, you know, uh, overproduction and mm-hmm. these kinds of things. So it's just ironic that now, so you the, know, yeah, the whole, in the farmer's time of need. You know, they call it um, to, to guarantee national food security, um, to guarantee, a nas- you know, the, the existence of a national dairy herd. Um, you know, so, but out in my, in central New York, I am seeing um, problems in the countryside again, like we saw in 2009. Um in July, one of my neighbors um, burned his barns and his house down and then committed suicide. Um, uh, last week, my other neighbor sold all of his cows out on September 7th. Um, a third guy is selling, is liquidating his herd. So when I'm seeing some bad things out in the countryside, um, none of that was mentioned at the yogurt conference. It was only good, you know, positive, positive things. Sure. Um, you know, so so I'm hoping some of this, the true story of of all the farmers, will be mentioned in the future. Absolutely, um, and I and think I, you I know, will just try to do that myself, and would encourage anybody to you know who knows farmers or to you know to talk with their political people. And just, you know, talk with the political people as well about the fact that, you know, Americans should be comfortable spending a little bit more money on food because, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to truly make this system work for everybody, you know, back in the day, mm-hmm. people spent, you know, 30% of their income on food and now it's less than 10%. Oh yeah. And that's just not realistic. So, you and know, I did talk, I did tell the governor a little too, I, he must see it when he drives around. And I, I did mention there I, out of New York city, you've got, um, Food Works, it, uh, New York City Councilman Christine Quinn's report, um, and in their report, she talks about food security, and um, we, New York is actually, I looked at the figures since the last time I was on your show, and in my lifetime, the figures, we've gone from 30 million acres of farmland to 7 million today. Wow. So New York needs to put the brakes on losing of um, just, you know, it's farmland and farms, and, and taking a look at the young people for the future. So, so I see it happening a little bit in some sectors. You know, we have a few young vegetable farmers who started up in our area, so I think that's good. But, um, you know, we really need to work together as a state, and it, it shouldn't be like it was back in 1998 when the consumer groups fought saying that we don't, we were not going to pay one penny more, and it was like a, you know... It's a, it's a, it's a partnership. <laughs> it's not a one-way, it's not a no, one-way we street. All, it, you know, we're all in it together. Times, yep. times we've had good times, you know, you know, we, I think, you know, there were times when, you know, when we all came together, like on September 11th. Um, and, you know, we need to maybe pull together more to make New York. Yeah, well, after. and I think it's all about education. So, um, I mean, so thank you so much, first of all, for coming back on the show to talk with <laughs> us again. You. Um, I, you always have such an amazing um, sort of, you know, sort of uh, top-down look at, you know, <laughs> how, at the, how the whole system's functioning. So um, if anyone wants to um, continue to follow you, you are a prolific Twitter person. Oh, I'm always on Twitter, yeah. NY um, Farmer. At and, NY um, Farmer. You know, I, and I have to say, after the last show, I had several people start to follow me and say that they, follow, they heard about me on your show. So. 
fantastic. So that was great. <laughs> uh, well, well, thank you again. I really appreciate your uh, rundown of the New York State Yogurt Summit. And um, although there are definitely, you know, problems to be solved, it seems like it's definitely a, a positive thing for the state. So um, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Well, thank you again. And we hope you'll join us again for a future show. Okay. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you. And every, everyone listening again next Monday, we'll be back with a fresh episode of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.